Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Daily Face-Off Show. It's Thursday, April 14, 2022, and I am very pleased to be joined today by someone whose work I've admired for a long time. Now I get to work with them, NHL analyst, former NHL goaltender, Mike McKenna. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Matt. We finally get to do this together. You know what I noticed on the open, though? Did I miss it? Do we have a jersey with your number on it? If I missed it, I feel sorry, but what's your number for the back of your jersey? Yeah, you know what? The jersey's missing. I, too, noticed it. I'm number 19 after Joe Sackick, Steve Eiserman, my childhood favorite players, and uh, yeah, there's there's no jersey there. It's, it's a little disappointing, but that's okay. And hey, I mentioned Joe Sackick. It's a great transition. Let's get two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock for our first topic of today. And speaking of two minutes and 30 seconds, that's how long it took for this game to be over last night between the Colorado Avalanche and the LA Kings, a 9-3 beatdown. Nathan McKinnon gets a hat trick, five points. The Avalanche get their 53rd win franchise record with nine games to go. Talk about an amazing season, an absolute wagon as we've all been calling the Colorado Avalanche. But I'm wondering, you look at the, the the game from the perspective of the LA Kings. This is a crucial loss late in the season. Mm. The wild card race. The Kings are starting to slip. They're four, five, and one in their past ten games. You look at those wild card standings. Got Nashville, eighty nine points. Dallas, eighty eight. Nashville, three games in hand. Dallas, three games in hand. And of course, Vegas, eighty five points, two games in hand as well. So I'm asking you, Mike, are the Kings in trouble? Are they going to be the team that falls out of this race? Well, you got to circle that team that's sitting third right now in the wild card, and that's the Vegas Golden Knights because that club's got a lot of players back into the lineup. Stone, Pacioretty, McNabb, Martinez, they're all back. Leonard's in goal. And L.A. hasn't been great lately. And you look at that performance against the Avalanche last night, and it was about as poor as you could expect. Now, caveat, it's a back-to-back scenario coming from Chicago the night before where they did get a victory. But, man, like, the Kings just didn't show up. Like, you look at that first goal that was scored by Nicholas Obey-Kubel. And he's on the fourth, you know, it's a fourth line versus fourth line matchup. And Gabe Velarde's just floating around for LA. And it was indicative of their whole game. That game was over, I know, in the first 230, but easily in the first 10 minutes, they're down, LA's down three, nothing. Quick's chased from the game. And I just can't help but look at that and think, man, this is a tough one for LA. How are they going to rebound to this loss? Both goaltenders ended up in the game. And again, they just were so lackluster. You have to have a good first period in a back-to-back game, especially against the Colorado Avalanche, the best team in the NHL, and L.A. was nowhere to be found. I don't like how that looks for them, even if they make playoffs, Matt. It's going to be really interesting to see how they come back. It's so true, and I'm reminded of an interview that Todd McClellan gave with, with Scott Burnside last week on DailyFaceoff.com, and in that interview, Todd McClellan sort of spoke about how these are all playoff games right now. And that wasn't a team approaching things like it was a playoff game. I know it's the Avs. Everybody takes a beating from the Avs. Mm-hmm. But still, the urgency, the fact they were down so quick, so soon, it's got to be alarming if you're a Kings fan. Of course, you have no Drew Doughty. He's out for the year with the wrist injury. And I do worry about the goaltending. You saw the graphic there with the save percentages. Both, you know, you have one goaltender below 900, one just above 900. And if you look at the, the season stats, five on five, the quick Peterson tandem, the Kings are 21st in save percentage. So they're near the bottom, especially among teams in playoff spots. That's going to be a problem, I think, come playoff time, if they can even get in. Now, a team that is going to get in and maybe do a lot more damage, this is a team I know you get to see up close quite often, Mike, the St. Louis Blues. They've won six in a row. 
They are eight, one and one in their past 10. So I'm curious for you, I know of course they had sort of the speed wobble in March, but they're really back on track now. Are they an elite Stanley Cup contender right now in your mind? I don't know if they're elite, but they're definitely a team that I'm starting to consider to be a real threat to at least make waves in the playoffs because they've seemingly, and talking to my mother this morning, who's a huge Blues fan, Matt, she said, they've found their identity. And I go, well, what do we mean by that? She goes, I don't know, but they've got it. Well, that's kind of the point. Like, they've been waffling around trying to find their identity all year. And to me, it's really just means that they're working hard and they're playing direct and they're going to the middle ice. When they speed wobbled in March, they're throwing long passes. They're getting picked off. They just weren't in sync with one another. Now they're supporting the puck better. And of course, the narrative of the season for the Blues, Robert Thomas, his point, you know, his passing ability, 33 points, 24 games lately, Kairou speed. The young players are getting it done for the Blues. But really, you got to look deeper than that towards the veteran core that's been really solid leading the way. Tarasenko on fire, O'Reilly, Falk, Saad. These players have played huge roles. Even David Perron, the Blues lifer, he's only signed contracts with the St. Louis Blues, 24 goals in 52 games. All right? He's making $4 bucks, dude. Like, value contract. He's about to turn 34. I don't know what his next one will look like. But the Blues have turned this around largely without Tory Krug, who had been out due to injury. He comes back last game against the Bruins, has a huge night goal and an assist. Nick Letty's been a good addition. It's solidified their decor. To me, the Blues have found their identity. They're playing better defensively, and they're supporting the puck all over the ice. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. And I think what really stands out to me is the unbelievable depth. You have seven 20-goal scorers on this team already, and you have Robert Thomas at 18. He can get two more, probably. Ryan O'Reilly needs three more. That could be nine 20-goal scorers on one team. It makes me think of Don Cherry back in the day when he had the Bruins team with 11 20-goal scorers. He used to brag about it on the Rock'em Sock'em videos. And I do think you see recent Stanley Cup champions, they often have teams that can roll three dominant lines. Even your third line almost functions like it could be a second or even a first line. I think you're seeing that with the Blues. Right now, you have Braden Shen and Jordan Kyrou on your third line. That's a testament mm -hmm. to how deep this team is right now. And I think also on the goaltending perspective, you have Billy Huso back in a groove. I was wondering maybe in March if the biggest workload of his career at the NHL level were getting to him. 898 save percentage in March. April, it's back up to 935. So he's hitting a groove just in time for the playoffs. I do think he's got to be in the catbird seat for that starter's job. I do have to ask you, Mike, quickly as well. Your mom, Blues fan, did she get into the whole glorious scene in 2019? <laughs> well, she didn't paint her front lawn with a big blue note like anyone else. But yeah, it, it wasn't just my mom. It was everyone else in this city of St. Louis where I grew up. They'd waited forever. The number of times, Matt, that I heard, just one cup before I die. And then people find, I mean, I've seen more tattoos of Stanley Cup championships with the blue note on people that, uh, that I would have never thought would get tattoos in their life. So it was a huge deal for the city. And yeah, it, it was a really cool moment for, for my parents, especially. That's awesome. Well, we have the Blues catching fire in the West. In the East, we have the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that has been pretty strong all year, overcoming a lot of injuries. They've now lost seven of their past 10 games. And... They're a team I always worry about at this time of year because I think the Penguins, they consistently in the Mike Sullivan era have had one of the smallest teams in the NHL. The games get a little heavier. The, the refs put the whistles away, getting close to the playoffs. And the heavy hockey, I think, tends to hurt the Penguins. That's why they've been bounced in the first round a couple years in a row. But I want to talk more specifically about the goaltending. And here we go, Tristan Jerry. We know, of course, there was the absolute nightmare in the playoffs against the New York Islanders last year. Ron Hextall looks like a genius all year. He backs Tristan Jerry, gives him the vote of confidence. They keep him as the starter this season.
but now we're starting to see the numbers slip. We know he's at 896 save percentage for the month of April. He's lost five straight games. He's actually 894 in his last seven games. So the slump is extending longer than that, even back into March. So Mike, as a goaltender, of course, the expert, our resident expert, I want, I want you to tell me, how worried are you about Tristan Jari? And do we have a controversy? Is Casey DeSmith suddenly a candidate to start in the playoffs? I will say that I have concern about Jari, but I'm not floored with the problematic thoughts through my head. And the reason being is that even though we mentioned an 896 save percentage in his last four games, you extrapolate that out 894. Like, realistically, Jari, Jari has just been one save off recently. And this is a natural ebb and flow to a season. The problem is that it's happening late. And that's not what you want to see heading into playoffs. But I think we do need to look at the big picture here and realize the teams that he's played against during this stretch in his last five games that he's lost in a row. Two games against the Rangers, two games against the Avalanche, a game against Washington, all really strong teams. And he's allowed 17 goals against. You bring that down three or four and it changes everything. I just think that right now, he looks like he's, he's not quite as confident in his saves, and it's it's just one of those times of the season. Now, DeSmith came in and played a great game April 10th against the Nashville Predators, and he was rewarded with a second start in a row. Obviously, Mike Sullivan trying to get some juice to his team. Uh, he came in and he allowed four goals against the Islanders in that game. So I still think it is Tristan Jari's net. I think he's hit a speed bump. I'm confident he can get back to it because at the start of the year, Matt, I thought Jari was on should have been in consideration for the Vesna with all the trope with all the injuries that the Penguins faced early on. He carried that team, but he's got to find that groove again, or else all we're going to hear towards playoffs are those questions surrounding Jari and if he can get it done. That's right. And you look Casey to Smith. He was. 892 before the All-Star break. He's 919 post All-Star break. So he's got momentum. And I'm just curious for you, if you're Tristan Jari, as a goaltender, Mike, obviously you played, had a nice career. Do you do you ever get those memories stuck in your head of a certain team that got to you or a bad performance? Or is it easy? Is it part of the job to sort of push out? Because what I'm wondering is, is Tristan Jari starting to think about last year as we get closer to the stretch run? Well, you're trying not to think about it, but it's there. I mean, it took me the better part of almost a decade in my career to find success in the playoffs. Like I had to have a good playoff series to get better and learn how to do it. And you have to have that experience. And I had teams that were my boogeyman. I couldn't beat the Hershey Bears to save my life. That was a team that crushed me. And the Washington Capitals were the same way in the NHL. And, you know, for Jari, he's lost three or four in a row to the New York Rangers. Well, who are they going to face in the first round? So... That's going to be a big mental challenge for Tristan Jari if that's what ends up happening, if those two teams face one another. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, of mental challenges, it sort of reminds me, we were talking about goalies that are going through something between their ears and Carey Price. Now in the news, we saw the Montreal Canadiens, they placed Jonathan Durant on LTIR this week, which frees up the space theoretically to bring back Carey Price he, of course, has been gone all year. He was in the player assistance program for, for painkillers, substance abuse. Obviously, he was coming back from the knee injury as well. Now we're seeing footage of him practicing. There's a lot of rumors that Carey Price will be back maybe as soon as Friday. So my question to you is, Mike, why is it so important for Carey Price to get games in this season? Obviously, he's coming back from a very major injury, and the season is lost. And for Montreal, if you're trying to get a higher draft pick, maybe some more ping pong balls do you even want Carey Price coming in and standing on his head so why is it important in your mind for Price to play this season because he's an asset that you're going to need if you're the Montreal Canadiens and if they're going to win if they're going to get better there's still a lot of years left on his contract I don't know how you could move out I mean 
Would teams take Carey Price at half that salary? Of course they would. But think about this from the big picture. If you're Carey Price, do you want to go a year and a half without playing an NHL game? Or do you want to go a year? Like, it's a huge difference, Matt. Like, you, you want to get the feel back that you really are telling yourself, I can do this still. You know, because that's a real question mark for Kerry, I'm sure, in his own head is, hey, my knee has not been there. I've missed a lot of time. Can I find my groove right away? Can I still produce at the NHL level? Which seems insane because Kerry Price can't, no doubt in my mind. But you kind of need that affirmation in your own head. And, you know, for the Canadians, what do they have? They're not trying. You think Marty St. Louis wants to go and lose the rest of these games? No, man, he wants to win. And, you know, Jake Allen's out with an injury. Montembeau's been running hot. They've played him a ton. And Primo needs to be in the American League to develop still. Like, let him play some games. Let Kerry get in there, get the feel for it, and make sure that going into the next season, he still feels confident that he can do it and that he still looks like he can do it. And I'm confident that he can do both of those things. Yeah, I think you're bang on there, especially with the reasoning, uh, especially because, you know, there was talk for part of the season that the knee injury was was career threatening. So sort of from a mental health standpoint, it makes sense to just sort of find out if he can still do it. And then he would get a lot more momentum going into the summer. And also a lot of goaltenders that I've interviewed over the years, they talk about chemistry with their with their defensemen, with their teammates, the way everybody moves the puck and getting into that rhythm. And obviously Carey Price has not played with Martin St. Louis, Montreal Canadiens yet. This team plays very differently under him than they did before with Dominique Ducharme. So I think in this case, maybe it's a matter of Carey Price getting a feel for just the flow of the game. He likes to handle the puck as well. So I could see it's almost like a way for him to do some homework for next season and try and get some momentum, assuming he's still in a Habs uniform next season. So next up, we're going to do a special segment we do roughly once a month. It's Under the Radar. Okay, Mike, it's time for another edition of Mike McKenna. That's you. Under the Radar, delivered by DoorDash. There's my ding-dong. I have to hear that ding-dong before I know we can keep going. So we're going to talk about a few players that you think deserve more spotlight. We're going to start with the New York Islanders, a team that's sort of been under the radar all season because they were kind of out of it from the start with that 13-game road trip. But there's someone there with maybe the quietest 33-goal season we've seen in the NHL this year. That's Brock Nelson. What are you seeing from him? Exactly what you said. I mean, the, the Islanders, dude, who's even thought about the Islanders this season? Honestly, because they started off so slowly and they haven't been in the mix. And and it's also just not a sexy team. You know, you don't get any media coverage. Like not, I shouldn't say media coverage, but you don't get any juicy quotes. Like it's really locked down from a media standpoint with Lou Lamorello in charge. So the players just go about their business. And that's what Brock Nelson has done. Okay, slow start to the season for him. He had 11 goals in 40 games to begin. And he's had 14 in his last 23. Like that's a huge difference, and a lot of that can be accredited to at the beginning, all the in, like not just the injuries but the COVID problems the Islanders had. Lines were all over the place. There was no consistency there, and now Nelson's finally found that, and you know he's blossomed once again. He's the leading scorer of this team, and you would almost certainly think it'd be Matt Barzell. No, it's not. It's Brock Nelson, and he's it's all the things that makes him successful big picture have really happened lately in the small term here. Okay. Huge body, 6'4", gets to the front of the net. But what I like about Nelson is just how well he shoots the puck off the rush and the confidence that he has to do so. Not everybody's willing to take a shot on a two-on-one. They want to look for the pass because they see a big goal and go, oh, I can't beat this guy. 
That's not Nelson. He knows he can. He's been filling the net on the power play as well. He's a hammer on the off wing. And he's had four game winners recently here, Matt. So uh, I think Brock Nelson's really done a great job with the Islanders and really under the radar. Nobody seems to have noticed it. And like you said, 33 snipes this year, man. Like it's been a pretty solid season for their assistant captain. For sure. And, and I do think we're going to notice him more that next year. I think this Islander team, you could see the way Lou Lamorello behaved at the trade deadline. He didn't sell off any parts. He re-signed guys instead, right? So I think they they feel that this year is a mulligan year. They're going to come back a lot stronger. And Nelson will be, of course, a big part of that. So we've spoken about the Blues already today a little bit. And of course, one of the guys keying the hot streak is the big fellow with the booming shot on defense, Colton Pareko. What are you seeing from Pareko right now? Interesting that you said the booming shot, because that's what Pareko's been largely known for. He can tee that sucker up. I don't even know how fast. He hasn't really had the opportunity to have it clocked. I'm sure he's over 105 and 107 range, and I've been on the ice against it before. It's a scary proposition, Matt, when that thing's humming at you. But here's the thing. Everybody's expected Pareko to have a big offensive upside to his game flourish at some point. And realistically speaking, it hasn't really happened. Okay, like he's been very good in terms of creating for the team, but he's really become a premier shutdown defenseman in the NHL. He's the first guy over the boards in all situations for the Blues, especially in the defensive zone. Takes more faceoffs um, in the zone. Defensive zone starts than anybody else on the club by a long shot. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing for Pareko, especially of late, is that he's been healthy. And the underrated ability about him that goes is that he can skate. He's a big man that can really move. And that lets him close gaps in a hurry. That lets him create separation when he's going up the ice to create outlet passes to get the puck going up the zone. And you really see his responsibility in the plus minus, Matt. I mean, he's in, in February, man, he's plus 29 on the season with 11 points. All five on five. So he's been carrying the mail defensively and at five on five play for the Blues. Played a lot of the season with Nico Mikola, a rookie early in the year. Now he's played more with Scandella. They've experimented with Nick Letty, who's been a big addition for the Blues. So Colton Pareko at 28 years old, over 500 NHL games played counting playoffs. He's really hit a stride as a number one defenseman in the league. What's so fascinating, too, is he's someone who it's not like he was, you know, a top five pick in the draft. He sort of slipped through the cracks. But when you saw him as a rookie, I remember just seeing the raw tools that he had and it was clear he was going to be special. So it's pretty cool to see it kind of all coming together for him. So let's go to one more. This is a player who comes from that U.S. NTDP pipeline that just continues to churn out stars. I think it's just going to make USA a hockey superpower for years to come. But there's one in particular you're looking at out of Minnesota. Who do you have your eye on right now? It's Matt Boldy. And, you know, you started the year looking at the Minnesota Wild thinking, who could possibly be an addition that's going to make a difference coming up from the Iowa Wild, their American Hockey League team? And Matt Boldy was somebody that I had circled. Early draft pick, first rounder, uh, and he didn't make the team out of camp. He didn't have a great camp, but he went to the American League, he put up points there, and he came to the NHL ready to go. And I think the big thing when I watch Boldy is that he's just unafraid to take the puck to middle ice. And that's a scary place for a lot of players, especially on the rush. He's not afraid of that. It's really impressive for a young player. He's very poised with the puck. He doesn't get rushed with it. And if you look from February 1st, he's got 21 points in 28 games, and he's seeing a lot on the power play. So as you as the season's gone, his game has grown, and so is the trust from head coach Dean Evison surrounding Matt Boldy. And Matt, I talked to Ryan Carter, who does work on the broadcast for the Minnesota Wild. And he said, man, one thing people don't realize is that I think Boldy was really motivated 
and it gave him confidence to see other NTDP players playing a big role in the NHL. You look at Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield, they all played together for that national development team in the U.S. It gave Boldy the confidence to realize that he belongs in the NHL and that he can play there. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, from a guy who never really felt like he belonged in the NHL, it matters. Because once you feel like you're in that club, your confidence grows. So Boldy's done a really nice job. Uh, he's played up to second line minutes and now some power play time for the Wild, and he should be there for years to come. Yeah, I'm with you. He was someone I planted my flag on the Matt Boldy planet, I guess you could say, uh, before the start of the season in fantasy hockey circles. I said, get this guy. He's a sleeper because to me, he's just one of those players who scores at every level. That's just, it's, it's the opposite of a red flag. It's a green flag, I guess you'd call it. When you score, it doesn't matter when, how many times you're promoted. Every new level, you just keep scoring. He made the AHL look, I think, positively easy. So you could see it coming. I'm not surprised that he's been such a good rookie this year. So that is the Under the Radar segment delivered by DoorDash. You can see the promo codes at the bottom of the screen here. It's D-F-O-D-D -D for Canada, D-F-O-D-D-U-S for the USA. That gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. Okay, Mike, it's time for the daily face-off inbox question. We've sort of been dancing around this topic today, talking about various teams in the wildcard hunt. But what I want to get from you now is, who's the team you're terrified to face in that race? If you're the top seed and you draw this team as a number eight or number seven seed, which team do you think should have the big dogs sweating right now? I think the Nashville Predators do. This is a team that, to me, plays a pretty hard direct style. They're in your face. You've got Tanner Janot and Michael McCarron bringing things on the fourth line. They've willed the rest of the club into the fight. And I think John Hines has them playing a style that could do damage in the playoffs. They can play tight games. They're always in it. And I think that when you look at their record against top teams in the Western Conference, that's when Nashville's played their best. They haven't rolled over for teams. They've been in these games for the large part of the season. So I think beyond that, Matt, there's the UC Soros factor. Other wildcard teams, we're talking potentially Washington, Dallas, Boston. Okay, there's still question marks there in goal in terms of experience and what they've done in the regular season. I have no question marks with Soros. You can He can steal games, and I think he can steal an entire series. Yeah, that's bang on. And it's just crazy. You look at the graphic here, the parody in the NHL, you really, it, like they say, just get in. And it's so true. We saw the Predators did it as a 16 overall seed in 2017. Montreal had the 18th best record last year. And now I think you have to be terrified about these Vegas Golden Knights doing their LTIR games, whatever they're doing. It's, not, it's within the rules. You know, you can't fault them. We talked about it yesterday. But now they've got some sort of narrative momentum peaking. Jack Eichel is finally healthy. Robin Lehner's back, relatively healthy. Mark Stone's back. You have the Evgeny Dodonov storyline where he's back from the dead, revived. And you can feel the sort of juju. Shea Theodore, I think, is really stepping up his game as well, coming up with some big goals on defense. And... I just would be frustrated if I'm a top seed in the West and you have to play Vegas as your reward for everything you did in the season. And a team that a lot of people would have picked to run away with the Pacific Division, they could still peak when it matters. So I think that's a team you really have to watch out for. Okay, it's time for our daily face-off daily betting segment now with Tyler Remchuk. Tyler, tell us how you did last night, my friend. 
Thanks, Matt. Went a nice one and one yesterday, but that Rangers puck line was plus 120, so we were in the profits heading into tonight. It's a busy slate in the NHL, so let's dig into it, courtesy of our friends at Points Bet Canada, and I am starting with the Boston Bruins on the puck line. Paying out minus 105. They're on home ice. They're 22-12-2 at TD Gardens this season. They're 6-4 in their last 10. Yes, they've lost two in a row, but I like this matchup tonight against a Senators team that, yes, they're 5-4-1 in their last 10, but they have not been a great road team this season. I like the Bruins in a bit of a get-right spot on home ice to cover the puck line at minus 105. And for my player prop, I'm sticking with this matchup, and I am going with a Patrice Bergeron assist. It hasn't hit in back-to-back -back games, but that payout, plus 120, is good enough for me. He has hit this thing in two of his last four, so he was on a bit of a mini streak before going back-to-back -back games without an apple. I like him to bounce back, pick up a helper tonight, and that plus 120 payout is just too good to ignore. So two plays on a busy slate, but I'm staking with the same game. Bruins on the puck line, Bergeron to pick up an apple, and that's all I got today, Matt. Okay, thanks, Tyler. Busy slate indeed. So many games tonight, so many games Tuesday, then barely any games Monday, barely any games Wednesday. It's sort of a roller coaster. I don't know what's going on with the schedule maker there. Okay, we're going to move on to garbage time now, Mike, and you have the floor. I want to get you to rant on whatever you want. You pick a topic, my friend, and give me your thoughts. Honestly, man, I think the Kings were crazy for starting Jonathan Quick two games in a row. And it's not because it was just quick. It's because they played against the Chicago Blackhawks two nights ago. They win the game. It's an e it's a rocking chair game for quick, right? I think he went 18 for 20, gets the win, whatever. But then there's a two-hour flight to Colorado after the game with a time zone difference. You're going from central to mountain time, and you're also going a mile in the air. You're playing at altitude in Colorado. And if you're Tom McClellan, you're looking at your goalies and you're going, I'm going to start Jonathan Quick two nights in a row, even though this hasn't happened since 2018. Quick had started back-to-back -back games in over four years, and this is the game you choose against the best team in the NHL, a mile up in the air at altitude, after a two-hour flight. I just think this was a bad decision. And you look at that game last night, I think Colorado was going to wax LA no matter who was in the net for him, given the way LA responded and didn't play in the first. But in a back-to-back -back scenario, Matt, your job as a goalie, and I've lived this, is to go in and give your team a first period. It's to get your team through that first period, either tied or leading. And if you can't pull that off within one goal, and that didn't happen last night. It was over right away. And I just think this was a, I think it was a bad decision, man. And I don't think it was good management of goaltenders. And I don't think it really, you know, read the situation. You didn't put a fresh guy in when you're fighting for a playoff spot. And neither of those goalies has really differentiated themselves this year statistically. So sorry, Todd, I like what you've done with the Kings this year, but I think you made a bad choice last night. That's right. And I will say to everyone watching, it's not a hindsight 2020 situation. I got an email from Mike last night saying Kings are going to get killed. And then later, Kings got killed. <laughs> you called it. You called it, it did. You did. And Jonathan Quick, the thing about him, this has always been the case, even in his prime. He plays a physically demanding style. He's so athletic. He's obviously not one of the biggest goaltenders in the league. And he's been injury prone in his career because he just moves around a lot, right? Obviously, you can speak to it better than I can, but I know he's a great athlete. That's always been his style. So to make him play back-to-back -back with a style that can be demanding on the body, it's a tough decision. And also, I'm curious for your perspective on this. Cal Peterson, is this not a vote of extreme non-confidence? You're supposed to be the heir apparent starter. You get the new contract, five million bucks. A back-to-back, -back, you're always going to play a back-to-back -back against the best team in the league, and they sit you. What are you thinking if you're Cal Peterson right now? 
Well, it's I would think that from the outside, but they have Todd McClellan has gone two and two recently in terms of games. He's given his goal, he's back to back starts. So in that line of thinking, he stayed consistent. This is not a scenario where they should have stayed consistent. And I'm usually a person that doesn't mind a goalie going back back to back, but two hour flight, time zone, altitude, best team in the league. Like this was not the time. This wasn't going from Montreal to Ottawa. Okay. This was a scenario where you needed a fresh goalie. So I don't think Peterson's probably going to look too much into it, but bottom line, he hasn't grabbed the net this year in, in LA and he was supposed to, and he's got that big contract coming up. He's got to live up to. Fair. Well, that's it for today's show, everybody. Mike, it's been a pleasure to do the show. I think we really upped the eyebrows per 16 ratio on the episode today. I feel great about that. Thank you, Mike, for joining me today. Thank you to Tyler Remchuk. Thank you to our technical producer, Alex Allard. And check out dailyfaceoff.com for all the news, analysis, insight on the NHL. We will, of course, be back tomorrow with another show at noon Eastern. Thanks for watching the Daily Face Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.